Let's just take a moment to uh, prepare our hearts before Abe comes and speaks. Thinking on that last song of, of, of really who God is and how his ways are higher than ours. Uh, let's take a moment to pray before Abe comes. Heavenly Father, Father, I just pray that where it where it rests with, rests with us, Lord, I just pray that our hearts would be prepared to hear Your Word. Lord, knowing that Your Word is is living and active. Hebrews tells us it's it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And to paraphrase the end, it's able to to penetrate the heart, to go to the depths of a man or a woman. Not just to divide that which is physical, but to divide and penetrate that which is spiritual. Lord, you've given uh, our dear brother Abe an ability to not just read text, but to actually preach, Lord. And Lord, we're, we're all in need of that many times. And our world bristles at the, the thought of that word, preaching, don't preach at me, Lord. I pray, as a fallen and a sinful man, preach to me through him. Tender my heart that I would hear what it is that you want to tell me. Lord, from the, from the highest educated to the simplest among us, do what it is you do and speak to our heart. In Jesus' name. for the Sunday school classes to dismiss. Thank you, Anna, and thank you, Matt, for those choruses from the Red Book focusing on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. His name is wonderful. You are beautiful beyond description. It's great to be in the house of the Lord this morning and to be able to open the Word and Following the Bible art this morning, we're going to have a baptism. I'm thankful for Clara Knight, your madam's great-granddaughter, who's uh, testifying in the what is a baptism. It's a public testimony of the faith that she has in the Lord, and we're thankful for that and look forward to that. It's always a joy to have someone testify in baptism. Also, this evening, we have our Sunday School Christmas program. Jim Adams used to write up, I do the calendar now, and Jim used to write that, and he always had something hilarious to write about. And I remember the skits we used to have when Cheryl directed them (laughs) when our kids were growing up. So we pray for God's blessing on that. But firstly, on behalf of myself and my family, let me wish each of you a blessed and a happy Christmas. As was read this morning from Luke chapter 2, that angelic message was, For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. 
It's not just a generic message. It says, for unto you. For unto you. It's a personal message. Is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That's what we celebrate this Christmas. I'm not sure if you've seen uh, some of the Hobby Lobby commercials that air at Christmas time. There's one particular one that caught my eye, and then the caption under that, and I'll mention that in a minute. But the commercial is a, maybe about a five or six-year-old girl, and the parents are preparing for Christmas, and she has this habit of drawing what she wants, and she draws, one, one time she draws a snowman, and the parents see that in her little notebook, and the next morning when she wakes up and looks out of a window, there's a snowman there for her, and this little adorable little girl missing two front teeth, and she's smiling as she sees that. The next night, they look at a journal. There's a reindeer pulling a sleigh. And you see the parents looking at each other. But the next morning, they have a big dog. And so outside her window is this big dog with the reindeer horns. And they found a little sleigh somewhere. And so there's that sleigh. And this girl comes up to the window and looks at it. And she just bursts. It's amazing that what she drew has come true. And then Hobby Lobby has this uh, thing that comes up. And it says, Christmas is what you make it. Now, I like Hobby Lobby, and I, the owners are Christian, but there's something that's totally wrong about that message. There's also something that's right, and I'll explain. Why is it wrong? You see, whether you acknowledge Christmas, or you celebrate it, or you rejoice in it, or you have gifts or not, nothing changes to the fact of Christmas, which is the first five letters of that word, which is the word Christ. Nothing changes the fact of the wonder of the Incarnation. God becoming man. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Apostle John says that in John 1.14. So uh, nothing changes the fact of Christmas. But then the, uh, Christmas is what you make it? Is that true? Well, you can celebrate Christmas and still n- not know the person who came. So I would suggest... When you know that person who came, and again in the Gospel of John, in the first chapter, it says he came unto his own, and and his own received him not. But then the next verse says, to them, as many as received him, to them that believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. And it is my premise today, that if you are a child of God, if you trusted God as your Savior, you can then really rejoice in Christmas and Christmas is what you make it because you are celebrating the birth of your Savior and that was the angelic message for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord but you know sometimes we can get so busy for Christmas and we miss the person who came and I've shared this story before it's, it was a, a mother's doing last minute Christmas shopping that doesn't happen that much anymore. We do all that stuff online. But this mother is frantically dashing around through the mall with her three-year-old in tow, and she's holding on to his hand. And they pass a life-size nativity there, and the boy's just pulling on her. He wants to look at that, and, and she pulls him off. And then they keep shopping, and then suddenly she realizes he's no longer with her. Can you imagine that when you lose a child like that in a busy mall? She gets frantic, and she tries to trace... Uh, was going back trying to find her son and then she finally finds him in front of that life-size nativity with his nose pressed against the glass 
and he's looking at it, and he's just looking at it in wonder. And she tries to, she's first upset at him, but she's really happy that she found him. And she pulls him away, and he says, Mom, Mom, it's baby Jesus, it's baby Jesus in the hay. And this mother says, Honey, we don't have time for baby Jesus, we have to finish our shopping. I wonder if we have felt that way. We don't have time for Jesus. Have you felt that way? I know I have sometimes. Not often, but yes. This morning we're going to take the time to think about the baby Jesus. And I've chosen as my title, it's not really a verse, it's a line from a Christmas carol, a familiar Christmas carol, written by Philip Brooks. The year was 1865. Philip Brooks, who was a pastor, was uh, touring the Holy Land with a small group. And on Christmas Eve, they were just outside the little village of Bethlehem. And uh, just looking over those fields that used to have the shepherds when the Lord came. And uh, he writes about that. He says, he says this, writing it three years later, he writes about that experience. He said, it was as if I could hear the voices I knew well telling each other of the wonderful night of the Savior's birth. Three years later, 1868, was when he penned the words of the familiar Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It's in all our hymn books, isn't it? O Little Town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie, about thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by, yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. And then the last line of that, him is what I've taken as my title this morning. The hopes and fears of all the years. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. It got me thinking, what are the hopes and what are our fears? What are some of the things that all of humanity experiences? It doesn't matter whether you're from a different country, different nationality, different race, different socioeconomic status. We all have hopes and fears. There are many things that we could pick from. I've just picked three, and there was an outline probably handed out this morning. Three fears and three hopes. And the, the fears and the corresponding hopes, and all of them met in the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we look into that, let's just bow in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the chance to look into your word. Pray that your spirit would speak to us from your word this morning. As Matt prayed, the word is powerful, Lord. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, take away anything that I say that's not from you. I pray that you would speak your word to us. Lord, and if there's anyone here who we talked about Christmas is what you make it. And we can make it a joyous occasion when we know the one who came as our personal Savior. So if there's anyone here who does not know, I pray that you would speak to us from your word this morning. I ask this in the precious name of the one who came, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So the first fear I would pick is the fear of death. Fear of death. You know, ever since Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, death came into the human race. In Genesis chapter 2, the Lord had created Adam and Eve in perfection. It was pristine. That garden, you can't, we can't imagine what it must have been like. But he set one boundary. And in Genesis 2.17 it says, you shall eat. Everything was freely available to them, including the tree of life. 
except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For God said to them, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we see Satan comes and tempts them, and he says, no, you shall not die. God knows you will become his gods, knowing good and evil, determining good and evil. And they fell for the lie from Satan, and they took of the fruit and eat, and there was immediate death. Not physical death, but no longer could God walk with them in the Garden of Eden. He did that before that. Because immediate spiritual death, there was cutting off of that fellowship that God could have with man because of man's sin. And then ultimately there was physical death, the dust, returning the dust from which man was created. Death is universal to all mankind. We, try, we don't want to talk about it. We don't like to talk about it. We try to stave it off as much as possible. There are billion-dollar markets in our country for medications and herbal remedies and all kinds of remedies trying to stave off death. The truth is, that fear was met, is met, is resolved completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. John 3.16, the most familiar verse in the Bible. Why don't you please say it with me? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Should not perish but have everlasting life. What does it mean to believe in him? You know, I've shared this uh, account before. John Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands, and he was translating the scripture. Well, they had to come up with a written form of their language because they didn't have a written form, so they did, did that first. But when they got to this version, a lot, as usually they do, the Gospel of John was the one, the first one to get translated. They did not have a word for believe in their language. And he was sitting with the person who was helping him translate, and he was sitting on a three-legged stool, and he was balancing out and moving back and forth. And there was a point when he could balance his full weight on the stool with one leg off, just on two legs. And he had an inspiration. He asked his translator, what am I doing? And he said, you're leaning your full weight on the stool. And I'm told to this day, their version of John 3.16 reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever leaneth his full weight on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When we trust God, we acknowledge that we are a sinner, we repent of our sins, we acknowledge God paid the price for our sins in the person of his Son, and then we are saved. Romans 10.13 says, in fact, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You'll say it can't be that simple. It is that simple. And yet it's that profound in that God sent his son to die to pay the penalty of your sin. The Apostle John says that in very simply in First John 5 and verse 12. He says, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. In fact, towards the end of the Gospel of John, he gives us the reason for why he wrote that Gospel. John 20, verse 31 says, Many things have been written, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Believing you may have life and everlasting life in his name. In John 11 is a very familiar account of the uh, raising of Lazarus, isn't it? Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were 
siblings living in a house in Bethany, a village outside Jerusalem. And the Lord often stopped there, and uh, it appears that the Lord loved to stop there with that family. And Lazarus got sick, and the sister sent word to Jesus, who's traveling, that he is sick. But Jesus doesn't come right away because he knows what he's going to do. And four days later, the Lord and his disciples come, and Lazarus has already died. And uh, Martha runs out when they're outside the village and comes to him, and perhaps accusatory, Lord, if you had been here, my, my brother would not have died. And, you know, Mary did the same thing later as the Lord came closer to the house. And then in that wonderful interaction between Martha and the Lord Jesus, the Lord tells Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, yes, Lord, I know he will rise again. I know there's going to be a resurrection. And then in that perhaps the greatest I am statement that the Lord gives in John 11, verse 25, he says, I am, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and he who lives and believes in me will never die. He who lives and believes in me will never die. Then I I, I would believe the Lord looked directly at Martha and said, Martha, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe. He who lives and believes in me will never die. Where's the fear of death if you never die? There's a a secular play called Lazarus Left. I think it was written by Neil Simon. It's really not totally biblically based, but there's a point in that play where uh, the Emperor Nero is talking to Lazarus, and he's telling Lazarus, you're going to be put to death because of his faith in the Lord Jesus. And Lazarus begins to laugh. And then Nero is surprised, and he said, don't you know you're going to be put to death? And Lazarus laughs even more. And he's doubled over with laughter, and he finally tells Nero, don't you know death is dead? Death is dead. Death is dead. Someone has won the victory over sin and hell and death, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Fear of death resolved in the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, a fear of being alone and unloved of being alone and unloved, the fear of life, in a sense. You know, right in the Garden of Eden, the Lord said, uh, after he created Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. And he created Eve. And in the context of marriage, we uh, often talk of that. And then he ordained family. Be fruitful and multiply was the message in Genesis 1.28. The same message was given to Noah after the flood in Genesis 9.1. Be fruitful and multiply. So he created this family, and that man would not be alone. And then in the New Testament, we have the one of of God's family, don't we? We have the family of God. You see that here this morning. We're asked to serve and to love one another. So we have family. You know, today in our increasingly wired and connected, and where we have instant access to communication, we can see someone across the globe directly at any time. In that increasingly wired world, it's, it, is it surprising that more and more people are isolated and lonely? And uh, the two-year pandemic really exacerbated that people feel isolated and lonely and unloved. And that desire to be loved exists right from in- infancy. You know, in a lot of inner cities, there are children that are born to mothers that are drug addicts. And those babies are often underweight or premature or very jittery and uh, cranky and cry a lot. 
and the hospitals look for volunteers to come and sit and to hold those babies. Just the act, very act of holding them calms them down. The act of feeling that someone loves them. That desire exists from infancy. The Lord has loved us and he's promised never to leave us alone. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I behold, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He said, John 3.16, For God so loved the world. First John 4 and verse 10 says, This is love, not that we first loved God, but He loved us and gave His Son to be an atoning sacrifice for us. First John 3.16, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And then uh, Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you are feeling unloved this morning, there is one who loves you more than anyone else in your family, your spouse, more than anyone else on earth can. It's God himself. And he has promised never to leave us. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 28, it says, Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. G. Campbell Morgan, who was a theologian and a pastor, was visiting one of his elderly parishioners, and it was a lady and a widow. And at the end of his visit, he read from Matthew 28, and he read down. And he said, read the promise, Lo, I am with you all the way to the end of the age. And he looked at the lady and asked her, Isn't that a wonderful promise? And she said, No. And then with a twinkle in her eyes, she said, oh, Pastor Morgan, it's not a wonderful promise. It's a wonderful reality. It's a wonderful reality. As we've been going through our experience with Kristen and her it's almost three years now, battle with cancer. We dwell on that reality. He is with us always, even to the end of the age. How thankful I am that that's true. And it's not just a promise, it's a reality. Fear of death, fear of life, of being unloved and alone. Thirdly, fear of the future. Fear of the future. In John chapter 14, the disciples were very fearful. You see, uh, they had spent three wonderful years being with the Lord, traveling around, seeing all the wonderful things that God had done. And then now he was talking about being put to death, that the religious leaders were going to put him to death. What would become of them and what would the future hold? They, were, they didn't know. And gathered in that upper room, the Lord says in John 14, and it's for people with heart trouble, not the cardiologist kind but people who are fearful. Let not your heart be troubled. In other words, don't worry about the future. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And then he says that he's coming again to receive, him to us, receive us to himself. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, there's no fear of what the future holds. There's a song that says, I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. There are many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. But I know who holds tomorrow. And I know he holds my hand. You know, Joyce and I had envisioned a future for Kristen and Cameron. She was finishing her medical fellowship, and we figured that they would, uh, she would start her work and 
uh, practice, and they would hopefully stay on in Columbus and not move far away and start a family. But God had different plans. Like Job, God allowed everything to be stripped away from her. Her education, her career, her beauty, her strength, her energy. Thankfully, not of hate. Job says, you know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We are learning to do that. We are learning to trust when the future is unknown. We are learning to give thanks when the future is unknown. The last line of that song, Peace, Perfect Peace, says this. It says, Peace, Perfect Peace. The future all unknown. Jesus we know. And he is on the throne. How thankful I am that I know Jesus. I hope you do. If not, today is the day of salvation. You can come to know him even this morning, seated here. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee. In thee. It doesn't have to be tonight. It can be this morning. What are the hopes, though? There's hope of life after death. Hope of life after death. You know, there's billboards across the... I don't see it anymore. They used to have it, and it was from the University of Cincinnati. Nothing, nothing against the university. But it says, in science lives hope. In science lives hope. You've probably seen that billboard. There's a little element of truth in that. But the message is not. It's not in science that our hope is... It's in Christ, in the Lord Jesus. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, if you ask most of humanity, all religions have some sort of concept of life after death. And for Hindus, it's reincarnation. We said that the fear of death has already been resolved in the Lord Jesus. But what about life after death? What form will that life take? Well, the Bible answers that, too, and I'll read the passage there. You see, in the Gospels, after the Lord was risen from the dead, he had that glorious resurrection body that could pass through doors. The doors were locked. The disciples were hiding in fear. The Lord comes in, and then he leaves that will, too. But it was also a body that he could eat. In John 21, at the seaside, they have that morning breakfast. And the Lord's there, and it says, after they had eaten, that body was able to eat. It was that same body that in Acts chapter 1, as the disciples were looking, that same body went up into heaven. That glorified resurrection body of the Lord Jesus was the prototype of the bodies that you and I will get at the rapture. And let me read that passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the wonderful resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, 
Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the prototype. We will be raised incorruptible. No more aches, no more pains, no more cancer. Incapable of sinning. How I long for that. A body that's incapable of sinning. A body that's fitted for the heavens. A body that's fitted for eternity. That's what we have to look forward to for life after death. First Thessalonians 4.13 says, The dead in Christ shall be raised first. Think of Jim and Phyllis Adams. Think of our parents. Think of all those who have gone before. The dead in Christ shall be raised first. Then we who are alive shall be caught up together. We cannot be caught up in these bodies. Those bodies will be changed. Caught up together with the clouds, in, with the Lord in the clouds. And we shall be with the Lord forever, it says. Hallelujah. How I long for that day. Life after death. Hope for life after death. Secondly, hope for life itself. Hope for life itself. We said about being unlo- alone and unloved. And that fear is certainly met in the Lord Jesus. But there's so, so much more than that in him. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are chosen, forgiven. We are saved. We are redeemed. We are adopted into God's family. We are declared righteous and clothed in righteousness. When God sees us, he sees us in his Son. We are sanctified and being sanctified. The Holy Spirit indwells us. We have a joy indescribable and full of glory. We are partakers of the divine nature, Peter tells us. Peter also tells us, as we've seen in Second Peter, he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. We have his grace. We have his saving grace. We have his sovereign grace. We have his sustaining grace. We have his all-sufficient grace. Hallelujah. Hopeful life. The Lord said in John 10:10, I am come that you might have life and life abundant. That's what he wants for you and I. Not a life that's just drudging. He wants abundant life for you and I. That's what he came for. He's given eternal life, but he wants us even in this life to have life. And he's given us everything that we need for that. There was a devotional reading last week, and it was in Psalm 23, the last verse. It's a very familiar verse to all of us. And it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the writer of that devotional said, You know, I've always seen that verse, and and perhaps you think the same way. He said, We often think of that, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow. Kind of like a dog passively walking alongside us, you know, just walking. He said the word that David, the psalmist, uses for that follow is an active, vigorous word. It's more like a hound pursuing its prey, never giving up. It's just actively pursuing. That's the way God follows us, with his goodness and mercy. And it was such a blessing to see that. That's the way he pursues us. Not just passively following, he actively pursues us with his goodness and mercy. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A hopeful life. Lastly, hope for the future. Hope for the future. You know, there are many books that have been written about near-death experiences and uh, how people have gone and come back. Maybe there's some truth to some of that. I'm not sure. I don't want to speculate on that. 
I don't need to speculate on that because the Bible tells us what the future looks like. If you look at the last chapter of the last couple of chapters in Revelation, let me just read a few verses. Then Revelation 21, verse 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he said, who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Behold, I make all things new. And then in Revelation 22, verse 3, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. In the Old Testament, to Moses, God said, You cannot see my face and live. Revelation 20, They shall see his face, continue to live, live forever. That's the future. All of that wrapped up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. But like I said in the beginning for that Hobby Lobby commercial, Christmas is what you make it. You see, when you get a gift, as children do, often you open it and receive it and accept it joyfully. But there are some of us, perhaps, who don't open a gift and put it on the shelf, forget about it. God has given us an indescribable gift in the person of his son. That's what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. He came to earth, was born in a manger, and we celebrate that. But he came to die. He lived a sinless life. And when he went to the cross, he paid the price for our sin. Many places in Scripture tells us he lived a sinless life. 1 John 3 verse 5 says he had no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he knew no sin. 1 Peter 2 and verse 22, he did no sin totally sinless, and he could pay the price for your sin and mine. The songwriter Philip Bliss puts it this way, Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place, in my place, your place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. The hopes and fears of all the years met in him. Met in him. Are your hopes and fears met in him? Let me close with this story. It's a true story that I heard someone share. The setting is an old folks home. It was in Turkey, actually. A son used to visit his mother regularly there. She had advanced Alzheimer's and, and really most of the time didn't know who he was. And he would come every day, spend time with her read to her, share jokes, and laugh. And most of the time, the mother didn't know who he was. Occasionally, she would recognize him. One day, one of the nurses asked the son, Why do you keep coming back so faithfully? She doesn't know who you are most of the time. The son smiled and said, That's okay. I know who she is, and I love her. I think of that in relationship to God and us. You see, you may, not, you may have forgotten who he is. You may not acknowledge who he is. You may not know who he is. You may ignore him. But he loves you. And he pursues you. 
God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance and come to faith in Christ. He pursues you. This morning, he's pursuing you. If you don't know him, he might be speaking to you this morning. Would you receive him as your Savior? Then the hopes and fears of all the years are met in him. And then Christmas is what you make it. And you can truly enjoy, celebrate, and rejoice this Christmas as a child of God. May that be true of us as we long for his coming, as we approach Christmas, as we celebrate. May we make time to remember our Savior. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for the reality of the truth that the hopes and fears of all the years are met in the Lord Jesus, Lord. That we have a hope for the future. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as their Savior, Lord, that you, your spirit would speak to them this morning. That they would not go from here without settling things with you. You came to die for us, Lord Jesus. We thank you for such a Savior. That is indeed good tidings of great joy for all people, but it's personal, for to you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We pray that we can go from here rejoicing, trusting, leaning on, and looking forward to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We do pray now for the baptism to take place. Pray for your blessing on Clara. Pray for the family. Pray for her as she takes this public stance, Lord, that you would give us a burden to pray for ones who trusted you and publicly stand up for you. So pray you'd bless the rest of the service this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen.